Gentlemen and Hunter Kick fam, welcome back. There's so much that's happened uh, in the last couple of weeks, so naturally you turn to us, uh, the residents here at Corner Kick, to break it all down. I'm Nathan Strauss, as always, joined by a man who was not at TD Garden this afternoon, um, despite previous forecasts to watch the Celtics lose to Giannis at Co. It is Caleb Rhodes. Yes, best $200 I never spent. Yes, it's like they always say, $200 <laughs> saved is $200 earned. Uh, and we are also joined. Buy, uh, I was going to say, I did, with some of the money I didn't spend, I bought one of those um, Red Sox uh, Boston Marathon uh, shirts, like the yellow and, and blue one. So that was fun. And I got a funny a- story about that, <laughs> those, those shirts. <laughs> um <laughs> I went to the the Red Sox game with someone like when those shirts were like debuted yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And we were playing a team that like also was wearing kind of like a luminescent bright color. And the person that I went with like wasn't very familiar with the Red Sox. So they were like, they looked at me, they looked at the two teams for a sec. And then they looked at me and they went, which one of them is the Red Sox? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's certainly not the traditional Red Sox colors. I have the full, I have the full jersey. Um, which was an expensive purchase, but has been worth it because it looks pretty cool, honestly, once you get used to it. But that voice that you just heard belongs to a man who is not at the debut, the inaugural game at Geodis Park down in Nashville. It is Nick Govindan. No, I'm not. I'm really disappointed about that. I, I had a lot of stuff going on this week. Um, I was invited to go to the first match of Nashville SC's uh, brand new MLS stadium, Geodis Park in the fairgrounds on the outskirts of Nashville. It's a beautiful stadium. Yes, um, and you now, and forward. you have to park, you park on the racetrack that's yeah, right the next racetrack. door. Yep. Yeah, very cool environment. Very good. If you're in, you know, the Nashville area, I highly suggest going to check out a game. The acoustics sounded amazing just on TV and my, a couple of my friends are there right now and they're looking like they're having an incredible, incredible time. And I have to say, Ian Air and co have done a tremendous job, you know, propping up Nashville SC in this community. And they've, they've created a real, a real diehard fan base and one that I look forward to, you know, being a part of more in this new stadium. So yeah, I'm disappointed that I can't be there, but you know, I will eventually make my way there. Of course. Well, one place that none of us were at was Europe this last week. So we'll start with the champions league and we'll start with one of the more <laughs> One of the more bonkers games that we've seen uh, in the Champions League this season uh, in a match that was sort of reminiscent to me of Monaco Man City of what? Oh, my gosh. That's now six years ago, five years ago, 20, was that 2017 so five years ago. Yeah. Uh, we saw Real Madrid and Man City clash and City came out with a 4-3 win despite Kareem Benzema's best efforts. He basically single-footedly kept Madrid in this tie. But this game sets us up for a really, really good return leg. And all around, just, you know, from minute two, basically, to, to minute 90, this game was nonstop action. I feel like this game really encapsulated exactly what both of these teams are about. City obviously controlled the game for the most part, for much of the game, they scored in the second minute and then the 11th minute. Mares arguably could have helped, you know, get a third pretty soon after, but didn't. Um, and in general, I think, you know, had the city not had to start, you know, an injured John Stones at right back and then, you know, bring on Fernandinho, who we can talk about when Vinicius just absolutely mixed him um, with, without even touching the ball. I think a full-strength City team probably would have eked this one out closer to, like, 4-1. I think the lack of some of their defensive stalwarts, like Cancelo and Walker especially, disturbed them. And then on the flip side, you have a Madrid team that was pretty clearly overmatched. I think Tony Kroos in the sort of middle pivot role did not look uh, excellent. And I think this has definitely been the season where he has started to look 
you know, a little older and, and perhaps getting passed by in some of these sort of higher tempo games where Madrid don't have all the possession. But it's Madrid in the Champions League, and so you can never count them out. And yeah, they were able to get three goals in this game. Benzema, you know, finishing off his brace in the 82nd minute with, you know, a, a high Panenka. I don't know if we want to create like a taxonomy of Panenkas here, but like a, a very high chip that kind of just went right under the crossbar. And I've, it's uh, ties like this make me miss the away goals rule. I know we talked about this a little bit in our chat <laughs> because I think I think if you had the away goals yeah. rule, this is Madrid's tie in a lot of ways, going back to the Bernabeu yeah. now. now. And but, according to uh, Madrid's social media, this is still very much their tie, and they're acting yeah. like you know they they were able to they able like pulled out like a win in this game, very much lost the game. But yeah, I think had you know the away goals rule been in effect going back to the Bernabeu and scoring they just needed to keep you know one goal have like a one goal advantage in that game and they're through but yeah I think Caleb we discussed away goals and I totally am in agreement with you like this made me yearn for the days of a dramatic away goal situation yeah I mean I I mean frankly I still think the goal remains so similar where you know they still need to get one goal um, and then that just takes it to, to extra time um, where it could be decided then. But yeah, I mean, Madrid certainly, the first 30 minutes of this game were pretty abysmal um, for for uh, Madrid until Benzema had a sort of absurd like cross-body goal with his, with I think his, his weak foot. Um, I thought Vinicius looked really, really good. Uh, but all in all, um, you know, Gabriel Jesus, I thought was very, very, very influential for the citizens who obviously were, were fairly weakened at the back. I was kind of surprised that they put Fernandinho in at right back instead of shifting someone like Diaz to right back or, um, you know, dropping in a, a more natural wide player there. But all in all, I think both teams can be pretty content with how this game went, even though, you know, given that Madrid scored you know, three of the last five goals in the match. And given that City put four past Thibaut Courtois, um, and it makes for appointment viewing for the second leg on Wednesday. Uh, and that should be a tremendously fun game at the Bernabeu. Is there anything else that you guys want to tack on from this match itself? Yeah, I just want to say Kareem Benzema, we've obviously talked about him loads on this podcast, but not only is he keeping Real Madrid in these ties, um, he's also doing it by converting chances of incredibly low XG. Like that first goal that he scored had an XG of something like 0.32 or something. Like, and he, he continues to do this, scoring these really, really low percentage chances and converting them into goals that are keeping Real Madrid in the Champions League ostensibly. And I'm not convinced that Madrid are going to get through at the Bernabeu. Um, historically, when they have gone down in Champions League first legs, they have not come back to win them. Um, you know, obviously this is the Champions League in the past few seasons has been an absolute madness. So you never really know. Also, this Madrid team are starting to turn into like the Jason Voorhees of European football where you can like shoot them in the head <laughs> and they'll just like keep walking forward. Um, particularly, you know, under the stewardship of Ancelotti, who seems to be like the just vibes coach right now, <laughs> as you can tell from his photos of celebrating the La Liga title with his players this weekend. Um, I think yes. the mood is good in the Madrid camp. Uh, City, they played like an extremely taxing game against Leeds United, even though the scoreline, you know, didn't reflect that. I thought Leeds gave them the runaround particularly in the first half of that game. So it begs to be seen, you know, who is going to be coming into this, the fresher side. But I definitely think, as Caleb was saying, Madrid are going to need to rethink the midfield matchups going into the second leg. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, the thing to talk about before we move on to the next, you know, UCL tie is who we think is going to go through. And, you know, after this game, Pep Guardiola said that, you know, this was one of the best wins in, in his career. Um, but I think that that's a little bit of like propaganda, a little bit of spin, because he knows that City really could have buried this tie at home and they haven't. And once again, I'm obviously rooting for City in this. I have no, I, I, I don't like Real Madrid, right? That's, that's, that's not news to anyone. But so far in the Champions League this year, the Benzema magic just has not run out. 
you know, they've gone down to PSG and then Benzema has dragged them to the win. They were on the verge of losing to Chelsea in the last round. And, you know, Benzema plus a little bit of Rodrigo, who's actually been quite good recently after being kind of bad um, all year, dragged them through. In this game, they didn't really have a lot going, but he got enough goals on the board to keep them in this tie. And so, as usual, I've been burned in the past, um, you know, betting against Madrid. And, and like, unlike you guys, I've never actually done sports betting. But were I a betting man, I would probably have to put my money on Madrid right now, which maybe is a spicy take because I think City are the better team. But as I said, I, I, I just I don't feel comfortable betting against this man in his form right now. Yeah, so. I definitely get the sense. I definitely get the sense that this game could easily go to extra time uh, in at the Bernabeu. I just have a hard time. Man, I mean, City are just so good, and they're so good at winning games in a variety of ways where, you know, they're perfectly fine with grinding out, you know, a 1-0 win or a 2-0 win, um, you know, against a team like Leeds. I think they're going to be... I think they're going to be just fine. And of course they ended up winning that game four nil, uh, even though it could easily have been like a one nil game at the weekend against Leeds. So I, th- I think city goes through, um, but I would love it if that weren't the case, because, you know, it's been Pep's sort of white whale uh, with man city. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I encourage him to fail. Uh, Cause I think it's better for the banter. Well, also, uh, and maybe I just want to pose this question to Nick, especially. Would you rather face, and I'm just making an assumption here that uh, Liverpool are going to defeat Villarreal. Would you rather face Madrid in the final and have that tantalizing rematch where you're very much the team on top? Or yes. would you rather face, you know, City for like the 15th time this year where really the outcome is quite unknown? No, no, no. I don't want the smoke. I want Real Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's the answer. And I think part of it, part of it is the 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 rematch asked obviously Sergio Ramos is no longer at Real Madrid so that the white whale for Mo Salah the vengeance card is not really in play but you know they have defeated us the past two times we've come up against them in this competition um I think Virgil van Dijk against Kareem Benzema these are two players at like the apex of their form right now van Dijk I think is having his best season at the club coming off of an ACL tear which is insane to think about and just seeing those two you know go mano a mano in a champions league final is the stuff that that european champions league finals are made out of and i think yeah going into this knowing that we're you know for the sum of our parts the better side is very interesting and i think real madrid versus liverpool is always going to be more blockbuster than you know madrid or than a city against Liverpool would be a match that we've seen a few times already this season, which has been like extremely high quality. But yeah, I want my revenge. The crazy thing is that I'm pretty sure that a lot of Madrid fans would actually consider Real Madrid to be favorites if they were to come to come up against Liverpool, just because there seems to be this sort of like historical revisionism that makes Real Madrid um, unbeaten or makes their fans believe that they will not be beaten in a European final. And to be fair. I mean, who can blame them really? But I think it would be a much more comfortable viewing experience for you, Nick. And then for us by extension, um, if you were to be facing Real Madrid rather than Man City. Although I do think that there is something to be said for both matchups. If we want to talk a bit about Liverpool v Real, we don't have to spend too much time on the match itself, yeah. but obviously a 2-0 win. Real they withstood a lot of the pressure in the first half doing their sort of Unai Emery thing. And uh, they just couldn't convert... They couldn't really find any outlets. And at the end of the day, it ended up being a fairly comfortable uh, victory for Liverpool. I thought they could have added a couple more, actually, in the second half. Villarreal only had one shot the entire 90 minutes. So I have to think that it's going to be fairly smooth sailing for Liverpool in the second leg. Yeah, I think the difference in this game for Villarreal versus against UA and against Bayern where that Villarreal really were not able to play out of Liverpool's press at all you know the counter-attack was never really on for them in this game in the way that it was against the other teams that have come up with that they've come up against in the knockout rounds Liverpool were just so dominant on the ball in this game so dominant positionally so dominant tactically and they just like in previous seasons you've seen Liverpool kind of get flustered when they can't break teams down but you know now with the addition of Thiago 
being fully embedded in the team, like consistently being you know, the best player on the pitch, his relationship with Fabinho, you know, these interesting new tactical setups that we have with Luis Diaz and Mane at center forward dropping in occasionally, you know, Salah being a bit more of a provider than a goal scorer. Liverpool just have so many tools. They're like a Swiss army knife of European football right now to break teams down. I think we saw the patience from Liverpool and we saw the experience and we saw the class. And I think that is, Nathan's absolutely right. I think we could have scored three or four in this game. I'll take the two, no win at home. And I think, uh, you know, we are going to progress knock on wood into our third champions league final since Klopp has taken over at the helm, which, which is nuts. Um, I think Villarreal really missed Jared Moreno in this game. Um, I think Dan Juma back Tuesday. Who will be? No, no. Yeah, yeah. I think that he has, he's, he's just like a properly, I think, world-class striker or attacker. Um, and he is not the fastest player, but he's the type of person that can really help orchestrate a counterattack. And I think provides just a little more like ball control um, than, you know, Chuck Weze, who I think is really good, you know, off the bench in that explosive role, as we saw against Bayern, but I don't think is a natural striker himself. Um, and I don't think he and Dan Juma, you know, complement each other, especially well. Um, so we'll see, you know, at home with Moreno back, how this team performs. I think Villarreal are going to lose this tie. Um, but I think they could nick, you know, maybe like a 1-1 draw um, at home. And I think in the end, this has just been such an impressive and, and continues to be a very impressive European campaign from this club. And I know that the British press was all like, oh, they were defending so bad. And I was like, wouldn't you? Like, like, like I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, what do you want? You're clearly, do? you're clearly the underdog. They're missing, you know, their most important attacking player. You know that Liverpool are this like monster attacking force. This team is seventh in La Liga. Like, and, and to some extent that indicates, you know, their real level of quality. Like, and a knockout game away at Anfield, like what would you do? I just find it just like, like oh yeah, they should go like guns blazing like from the start and what lose six nil in the first leg. Like, no, I don't. I I have total respect for what <laughs> Villarreal did in this game, and also like you know Unai Emery, you know this yes. man is yes. so experienced in getting through European knockout ties in this fashion. You know we see him do it with Sevilla, even though his Sevilla team probably had like a bit more about them going forward than right. this Villarreal side. But this is this Villarreal team beat Manchester United. They beat um you know several teams with high pedigree on their way to winning the Europa League last season. And like yeah they're gonna come to Anfield and go man versus man <laughs> against the best pressing team in the world. Like no what do you want them to do? No it, it's so ridiculous. I and before we move on, I would just, I just wanted to shout out one Liverpool player who I think hasn't played a ton this year, but has been amazing in Europe, and that's Kanate, um, who I think had another great game here. And he's I just realized he's only played like a handful of times in the Premier League, but he has really shown up in their Champions League campaign. And he's definitely of the two Leipzig center backs that made big moves, impressed a lot more than Upamecano has yeah, at, which at Bayern is... for sure. A big testament to Liverpool's recruitment because I think that they were genuinely interested in both of them. And Kanate managed to be about half the price uh, and also at this point twice the player, which makes him four times a better buy than the thing that I love about has Kanate, been for Bayern. Sorry. The thing that I love about Kanate is that, yes, he's he's been outstanding. Like He has not put a foot wrong since you know his big debut against Manchester United at Old Trafford. And... The thing that I love about watching him play with Van Dyke is that you can see that he's really like learning from the master in terms of how to command a game from center back. And if these two can like form a partnership on the ball at, at the back for Liverpool for the next like two or three to four seasons, like it's going to be one of the all time great center back duos that Liverpool has ever had. And I also love the fact that he is also like six, four and massive. And so whenever these two like come lumbering into the box, People are so focused on Virgil van Dijk that they kind of leave Kanate all by himself and they forget that he's also just like an absolute menace from set pieces in Liverpool who are so, so proficient. They have a set piece coach and they have like set piece coach and they have all these designed set pieces. And now just to have like two of these guys trolling around a penalty box is just, I imagine, a nightmare for the opposition. Let's move on to the Premier League uh, in that case because there were some pretty 
interesting results since the last time we've talked. Arsenal managed to beat Chelsea, United, and West Ham after losing to Brighton, Southampton, and Crystal Palace to show you how crazy this season has been for the Gunners. But this morning, Everton were handed a lifeline in the Premier League uh, as they beat Chelsea, who really have nothing to play for at this state uh, in the season, given that they are just about a lock into third place uh, and have no chance. I mean, the FA Cup. I mean, I, in the, as far as the league play, as far as league play goes. Um, well, I don't know actually, now because actually, with wait, this yeah, loss, can I give can I give you my hot take? I think Chelsea finished fifth. Yeah, yeah. I, I think to, I was about to Arsenal say this. and Spurs making it because I was just they've had like not the greatest run of form recently. They had you know a draw against Man U, which I mean maybe a good result if you just think of the normal pedigree teams, but. Their last four games is a loss to Arsenal, a win over West Ham, a draw to Man U, and a loss to a free-falling Everton. Maybe Lampard knew some some tricks. But their next few games, in the, they still have to play, you know, a desperate Leeds who will be trying to stay up, who I think played really well against City, even though they succumbed. They have to play Liverpool, who are, you know, chasing the title. They have to play Leicester, who I think it's hard to know what you're going to get from them. And then on the last day... Oh, wait, that's a club friend. Oopsies. <laughs> on Thought <laughs> says it says Chelsea versus Arsenal at the that, end. That, that and game I was just looking Orlando. at the dates. Yeah, that game's No, I know. Orlando it's so funny. Summer. But I was just looking at the bottom. I was like reading down and it's like May. And then it's like July 23rd. I was like, what? Oh, but that's a club friendly. Okay. So maybe, maybe I'll take back my statement a little bit. But I still think they have a few difficult games left where they could drop points. And they are just shockingly three points above Arsenal. And, you know, five points above Tottenham right now. And they actually have fewer wins in the league than Arsenal, which is kind of insane. Um, so I'm not sure they're fully safe yet. And they've kind of really lost pace with the front two and have allowed, you know, Arsenal and Spurs to catch up on them quite a bit. They were getting battered, too, in some of these games. Like, think about the two times they lost. They conceded four goals at home back to back to Brentford and Arsenal. Like they like are been uncharacteristically error prone at the back. A lot of individual errors are, are starting to creep into their game as we saw today. And I am just like, like Caleb said, now that they're, they're really looking over their shoulders at what's at once as at what was once a huge gap between them and Arsenal. That's only now three points. And obviously their goal difference is far superior to both that of Arsenal and Spurs. But I am, I'm not, like Caleb said, I'm not super convinced that they're going to hold on to this third place position. Yeah, I I mean, to be fair, I would be more likely to place money on Arsenal finishing third than Spurs, just because the last four games for Spurs include uh, Liverpool away uh, and then Arsenal at home. So they would have to take, you'd imagine, six points from those games to have any chance of leapfrogging. And that would require... You know, because they're five points back of Chelsea, they need to pick up, you know, six to, to leapfrog them. Um, so, Nick, I will be very heavily pulling for Liverpool in that game against Spurs. Um, but then Spurs do finish up the season with Burnley at home and then an already relegated Norwich away. I guess, yeah, we can discuss briefly Norwich going down. Watford are almost mathematically guaranteed to be going down at this point as well. But Everton winning 1-0 against Chelsea gives them... Um, an equal probability of going down uh, according to 538. And actually, right now, as of right now, Leeds have a 45% chance of being relegated compared to 34% for Everton and 21% for Burnley, uh, with Leeds hovering precariously above that relegation zone. And the last four games, including Arsenal, Chelsea, Brighton, and Brentford, those are four pretty difficult fixtures. Uh, and it's it's sort of unfair for Leeds as well, because I think they've really played quite well. But you look at that 1-1 draw with Southampton, the 0-0 draw with Palace, and then you know even losing 4-0 to Man City is nothing to be ashamed of. But they played really well in that loss again. Uh, I think so. Okay, Everton, Everton, the thing I will say about Frank Lampard's tenure at Everton is that the home form at Goodison Park has actually been pretty good. You know, they, they beat Chelsea today. They had the 1-0 win over United, the 1-1 draw with Leicester. It's on the road that Everton really, really struggle. In fact, Frank Lampard has not won a single game on the road since he's taken over as Everton manager. 
And their next few games are away, Leicester away and Watford away, which is going to be a huge one. And then they have two more home games against Brentford and Palace, and then they finish the season away at Arsenal. So I think there's definitely still real jeopardy here for Everton, particularly if Dominic Calvert-Lewin doesn't return to the team until next season. Noah Charleston led the line today. Um, Anthony Gordon didn't play as well today. So I think they're, they're putting a lot of expectation on his young shoulders as well. Um, I, I definitely think you're starting to see a bit more resoluteness in Guile from Everton, a bit more of that, like, sort of, I don't want to say, like, Allardician approach. Certainly in the Merseyside Derby, they took that route. But I think they are kind of shutting up shop a little in anticipation for kind of grinding out results like they did against Chelsea today, which I think is smart from Lampard in terms of, you know, realizing that he's in a real relegation dogfight right now. Yeah, and I think the the biggest development in this relegation race has been, like, Burnley's shockingly good form since the beginning of April, where they've picked up four wins from six. Michael they Jackson, that- baby. <laughs> Michael Jackson, their manager, uh, which is great. I didn't even know that, but that's awesome. Um, and they draw against West Ham. So they really haven't dropped too many points. Um, no, they've been, they've been stealing results like a smooth criminal. Yeah. And is it true that they play Aston Villa twice? Yes. In a COVID-arranged, rearranged fixture. I see. So that, that'll be kind of interesting. But obviously, you know, Spurs will probably grab a win. Newcastle will probably grab a win. But if they can get points from those Aston Villa games, then they're probably safe, which I don't think many of us suspected at the beginning of the year. I think, Nick, Nick weren't that your pick for being like dead last? Do I have that right? No, I think Southampton. <laughs> oh, Southampton. <laughs> and, Which has not and, come, no. come to fruition. I did say, though, I did say Burnley would stay up. But I did oh, say that Burnley would, be, would stay up. I, I was said really, Burnley would... And I thought Burnley were going to get relegated for sure. And to be fair, that that bet or that guess would have been pretty good yeah. for about 70%. No, of no, but here's what I said. I said they would stay up because Sean Dyche has uh, the experience okay. to keep them up. But yeah. I think I might be right about them staying up, but certainly I'm incorrect about Sean Dyche. Yeah. And obviously we, we will be doing our review show where we actually we have to listen back to our preview episode <laughs> and then just absolutely roast the shit out of ourselves for all the stuff. We oh, said. Like, like to be fair, you know who hasn't scored in a really, really long time? Emmanuel Dennis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. Since I, feel I like... bought all three of us Emmanuel Dennis kits, I don't think he scored once uh, in that time. Which, oh, actually, that's a he lot. He scored, scored yesterday. He scored against Brentford. But the thing is, Watford have lost um, now eight yeah. of their I last mean, Watford's 10 games. form has gotten yeah. so bad. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they're still been their most stung. productive attacking player this year with 10 goals and six. Yeah, he'll score like so. 25 in the championship next year. Although, honestly, a team like Everton, if they stay up, should just like buy him. Honestly. No, I feel like they'll send him to Udinese, right? Or Granada or one of the partner clubs, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, feel I like think, he might have... Yeah, 100%. But I mean, they, they kept like, hold of him, his Him and Delafoe would be kind of sick in Serie A. Delafoe scored this last week as well. I actually, for whatever reason, I was watching... He, he has uh, like, Udinese game like in 10 the or 12 league goals this year. Like he's yeah, been like he's a, always been a perfectly fine player in a perfectly average team in a big five. Right, he just can't play in good teams, like as right. a rule, because yeah. he's like Lucas he Podolski, wilts. but bad. Um, the Pozzo family tree, you know these these players just get shopped around from club to club. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Emmanuel Dennis in Serie A next season. Yeah, no, especially if Watford are relegated. Um, but I think that's probably most of the intrigue from the Prem right now, which is that. The title fight remains tasty. The top four race remains tasty. And, you know, the the last relegation spot also remains interesting. I think we can all agree. We would all prefer to see Burnley go down. Of the I don't three. know, dude. Uh, I don't know. I, would, I mean, you, I you, you don't, though. We've had this discussion before. Really? Um, really? Yeah, because it's No, no, no. Much. Well, I mean. Here's the thing. Is I, I did not want Everton to go because Caleb and I have talked about this. No, we did. We, it's we like, talked about how it's the, the Merseyside Derby is good for the Prem, et cetera, et cetera. Right, 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 right. And I, I was on that train until Frank Lampard started like running his mouth and talking all the. But you the, hate Lampard, not Everton. No, you know what I mean? know. no, I don't like Everton, but I certainly don't. I mean, here's the thing here's what, I would, here's what I've come to grips with. I would be okay with Everton going down and all of the banter that, that followed if I knew for a fact that they would come up the following season. But the problem is 
Evergen are such a disaster <laughs> behind the scenes that I have no guarantee right. that they're not going to do an Aston Villa and like languish in tenth in the championship for like three to four years before coming back up again. Uh, yeah, I mean the thing is the reason I would rather have honestly of the of I'd rather have Leeds go down probably of those three. Um, as much as I what dislike. As no as I, way! Like, actually, you know what? Let me. This is my official. Power Ellen Road. Ellen Road. I'd rather have to be in the Premier League. I'd man. rather have. I'd rather have Everton go down than Burnley than Leeds because Burnley going down would mean that I was correct, and I also generally think that you shouldn't be rewarded for playing like regressive soccer, which is what Burnley have done since they came up. And yes, it worked, but it was not pretty. And their teams a but bunch of miserable But what, why are we why here? Okay, here's my question: Why are we praising Villarreal for doing what they did with their style against Liverpool? Well, it's a cup game versus. No, no I understand that, but results are results, and you know Burnley Burnley's team is designed to do that. And okay, why are we? I because a team that plays the way Burnley does should get relegated in this era of soccer. I don't think that that's unfair to say. Like you look no, at I don't, the way I'm not that disagreeing yeah. with you. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. saying that, like, I, I feel like we can't take umbrage. With oh no, 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 trying. no, no, no! Trust me, I. The fact that it's worked for as long as it has, I think, is a testament to Sean Dyche, or largely is a testament to Sean Dyche, um, and the sort of mentality that he instilled. But they're not a fun team to play against, and it's been, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. Um, but the they reason, certainly the are reason now that, that their I manager be, is Michael right. Jackson. That's right. like my new favorite thing. Um, but the reason that I'd be okay with Everton going down is that this is basically the end of a seven-year era of mismanagement. Kind of similar uh, in my mind to what like Portsmouth had um, back in like the early and mid-2000s where you took- Well, they're pulling the leads right now. Well, like, right, they're but you literally, took a team that was in thing. Europe. Uh, you took a team that was in Europe playing against, what was it, Dynamo Metallurgst or Dnipro, Dnipropetrovsk or whatever back in like 2013, 2014, the- FA Cup or in the uh, Europa League semifinals. And then you look at the fact that they just spent calamitous amounts of money, you know, bringing in Sigurdsson for 50, for 50 million. Um, they also bought, uh, they just, they bought really, really poorly all the while trying to build a new stadium. They went through managers uh, like, you know, cigarettes. It's, it's, they, they sort of have reaped, um, they, they, they are reaping right now the very bad seeds that they've sowed since like 2014, in my opinion. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, dis, I'm not discounting that. Like, yes, they've been horribly managed, but I'm asking like, not about that. Like which club do you really want to see go down? And I, I personally think that it's pretty clear that I'd want Burnley to go down. No. Yeah. You won't miss Burnley as like, much like, as you would like, miss like, Everton. Like, I'm not, I'm not asking like whether they deserve it because of how they manage a club. Like, yes, in terms of like performance, Everton have like no plan. It's really unclear where the club is going, et cetera. And so for that reason, it makes sense why they're like in the relegation fight, but that doesn't mean I want them to go down. Right. Oh, so Does if we're approaching it, yeah, yeah, sense? yeah. Okay. So if we're approaching it from that lens, then I would definitely say that Burnley should go down. Like Leeds and Everton in the Prem is much better for the league. Uh, than having Burnley. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Do you guys have any sort of prognostications for the top four race given, or really at this point, um, art between Arsenal and Spurs with, with each team with four games left, including that North London Derby next week? I still think Chelsea finished in the top four. I think they have some favorable fixtures down the stretch in order to get points, especially against like a free-falling Wolves team at the moment who have just gotten battered in their last few games. Um, I think Arsenal are just in such better form right now than Tottenham, who are so inconsistent. And if you're Antonio Conte, I think he's probably looking at getting out of Dodge if Spurs can't finish in the top four. So this is really do or die for Tottenham at this juncture. That North London derby is going to be massive, but I just can't see. I don't know. I just think right now on the basis of consistency, and this can all flip around because Arsenal tend to like to like to lose in bulk to mid-table sides occasionally. But I think, I do think Arsenal will get that fourth place spot. Yeah, I I tend to lean that way too. I think it will hinge a lot on the North London Derby, and I think how I think that game is going to go depends on how badly Liverpool, you know, beat Tottenham. 
Like if they just like shred them and like ruin all of their confidence before the game, I think it will be kind of not good. But I think if they're able to somewhat hold their own, maybe lose 2-0 at Anfield, it's like, okay, chalk that off. Here's like what we need. And then we can play Burnley and Norwich, which hopefully should be solid points to finish out the season. I think it could could get interesting. But I do think it yeah. just on North London Derby. Yeah, but I think the dream situation for Arsenal is if Arsenal beat Leeds, and I think that fixture finished, what, 5-1 back in the back in December. If Arsenal beat Leeds this coming weekend and Spurs lose to Liverpool, then it becomes a five-point gap. And I think that that probably makes a young team like Arsenal feel a little bit more assured. Um, what you don't want is for Arsenal to drop points at Leeds and then for like the sort of flip-flopping in the table to be super imminent. Um, especially for an Arsenal team that, you know, has been playing Mohamed Elneny and, uh, and Rob Holding in each of the last couple of games. And to be fair to Mo Elneny, as some commenter on Twitter posted, um, he's supposed to be fasting for Ramadan, but today he was eating rice because he has been dominant uh, in the midfield. Um, that, of course, referring to Declan Rice. Uh, but why don't we move away? Why don't we move away? This is away the type of thing that Elon's going to get get rid of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. That's not protected speech on the new Twitter. Um, <laughs> uh, they'll have to go to Parlor if they really want to uh, you know, make jokes like that. But uh, we should probably take a quick look uh, around Europe and pay our respects to some recently anointed champions. Real Madrid, runaway winners of La Liga this year in part due to the huge drop-offs in form of teams like Atleti and Barcelona and Bayern won their 11th straight Bundesliga, a 10th straight Bundesliga um, with Thomas Müller spraying beer all over the reporters at pitch side. Uh, And, you know, maybe not a surprising sight. Yes. uh, Maybe not a surprising sight to see those two teams uh, lifting trophies at this point in the season, but uh, I mean, Bayern, even in a year where they probably weren't their best, still managed to to really just dominate everyone else in Germany. Yeah, Bayern stank. Bayern were like not not up to the quality of the usual Bayern teams this season, no. and like indicated thus by the fact that this weekend they lost three one away to Mainz. And yeah. I mean, after they'd already sent up the title, so like it's it's yeah, it's neither here nor they there. started think, Eric Maxim Chupabotin, so I, I don't think right. they really too much of this. But 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 continue next. No, but but you look at you know Dortmund who lost four three to Bochum this weekend, and the quality of the Bundesliga I think is something that we should save for you know a larger discussion because I think they're really at least this season they've kind of fallen behind, particularly Syria in terms of quality. And you look at, you know, the performances of teams in Europe over the past few seasons. I don't know. I feel like there's the larger discussion to be had about the overall state of the Bundesliga as of right now. I think this is an incredibly important summer for Bayern and just the league in general, like following that up, right? Because Bayern have kind of strolled to the title for a decade now. But this summer, there's a very real possibility that they lose, you know, Nabry potentially, that they lose Lewandowski. Um, they're losing Zula and their defense has not looked especially solid this year, you know, after, you know, sending Dave or David Alaba left a defense that they spent countless amounts of euros. No, on. A lot yeah, of they're money. the only team in Germany that actually spends on defense as we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Dortmund faced the prosper. I mean, they're going to lose, uh, Holland this summer, although they have actually spent really well on defense getting Zula and then also um, Schlotterbeck. Yes, um, Freiburg, from Freiburg. Freiburg. Kind of like the miracle team of the Bundesliga. And yeah, but Schlotterbeck the... has been like really good and he's really young. But I think, so I think next year there could be like an opportunity maybe for some shakeup in the league standings, but it's not because the league has gotten better. It's really just because Bayern will have gotten even worse um, and Dortmund maybe will be, you know, less calamitous defensively. But I'll say it, this has been the least competitive league of the top five leagues for the past decade and it might be overall in terms of quality at this point like worse than Ligue 1. Yeah and I think that there's I think that we should actually probably have a big discussion about this because I have some theories regarding the sort of 50 plus one um, ownership rules that sort of incentivize parity in a way that really just benefits 
um, the the teams that are able to spend like Bayern or the team rather that's able to spend like Bayern. Um, but, you know, there is a possibility that, I mean, I would say at this point, Leipzig are probably favorites to win the Europa League um, at this point. Um, they have a 1-0 lead over Rangers after the first leg and they'll play the winner of... <clears throat> West Ham and Frankfurt. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think it's, I mean, the Bundesliga should be coming away with the Europa League trophy. Um, but obviously it was a disappointing year for them in Europe. Dortmund can't defend uh, for the life of them. And, you know, Holland is going to be leaving this summer uh, as well. Uh, and of course they don't have, we've talked about sort of their defensive woes. Leverkusen continue to be a great developmental club, but have never really been able to make a serious run at Bayern. Um, and you think about, you know, if you were to ask a few years ago what the least competitive league in the top five was, it was going to be between the Bundesliga, but likely Serie A at that point, because you had Juventus on their ridiculous run of Scudettos as well. But a combination of a lack of challengers for Bayern, a lack of serious challengers for Bayern, really going back to that incredible Dortmund year in 2014-15, or maybe Leipzig a few years ago. Um, you mean 2011? You mean 2012? 2012. Time flies when you're having fun, man. But, um, you know, since then, and given Juve's sort of relative decline in the last couple of years, um, you know, Serie A has certainly been a more enthralling watch than the Bundesliga as well. And we should probably talk a little bit about Italy because uh, this is a title race that is actually coming down to the wire as we've sort of talked about all year. Yeah, this has been the best title race. And I think we said this at the beginning of the season that this was going to be by far and away the most competitive title race in all of Europe's leagues, top five leagues. And it has absolutely been that Inter lost in midweek. They won today. So they're two points behind AC Milan. They were on top of the table for a few weeks, but Milan have regained pole position with only three games left to play. Uh, Inter's goal difference is way better than Milan's. They've scored by far the most goals in Serie A, but I am, I don't know. I don't really know what's going to happen. I love the parity in this league. Milan still have to play Atalanta at home. So that's a huge, huge game for them in, in this like last little stretch here for the title. Inter have... Uh, Coppa Italia final to play against Juventus so you wonder how much they're going to you know divvy up resources in order to compete on that front I imagine Inzaghi will want to get his hands on that trophy in his first season so yeah I think definitely Inter looking at the, the fixtures right now have a bit of an easier run-in against teams like Empoli and Cagliari and they finish up at home to Sampdoria so I don't know it depends on whether or not Milan can win out you know but it, it, uh, Serie A has just been a madness this season. And I've absolutely enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, AC Milan haven't lost in a league game since January 17th. And before that, they hadn't lost uh, in a league game since December 19th. So two league losses in, what, five months now? Uh, that's title-winning form right there. And I do appreciate the fact that uh, in an off year for Juve, Unlike in years past, we've actually been able to see a sustained title charge um, for both uh, Milan teams and certainly felt yeah. felt really bad for Handanovic, who had a mm. really just terrible error uh, in the 81st minute against Bologna to, to lead to just the third shot of the day at that point uh, for Bologna as they pick up the win at midweek. Yeah, I mean, this Milan team, I know Milan are obviously like one of the teams in Italy. But their title challenge, both last year and this year, feels very, like, Lester-y to me in the sense that they actually don't have the best goal difference. You know, even Napoli in third have a better goal difference and have scored more goals um, than AC Milan. Obviously, Inter have by far the best goal difference, and they've just scored a lot more and have the best defense in the league. But in terms of their form, they just get the job done and just eke out these very tightly margin wins. I mean, today they beat Fiorentina um, 1-0. And in this kind of like unbeaten run in the league, they just keep a shocking amount of clean sheets. I mean, they had a 2-0 win versus Genoa. They had, you know, nil-nil draws versus Torino and Bologna. 1-0 over Cagliari, 1-0 over Empoli, 1-0 over Napoli. 
um, they just don't, they have a very, I don't know, it just feels very lustery to me. And I think that's because in terms of quality, they're not quite as good as Inter, but they just get the job done. And I really hope that they, you know, pull it out. Um, right now, 538 has them as 57% favorites, which is basically to say um, it's a coin flip. And I think the key match for them will be, you know, their upcoming league game um, in a week or two against Atalanta. Yeah. And if you look at the spine of the team, you have to say that the backbone of this title charge has been Fakayo Tamori at the back. And in part, like some Samuel Kalulu and her, uh, it's not Teo Hernandez. It is Teo Hernandez. It is Teo Hernandez. Guess, we were just talking about Byron's defense. So I got, yeah, Lucas you were thinking Teo, Lucas. Yeah. yeah, it is Teo Hernandez who has been outstanding as well. But you think about Fakayo Tamori, who has had such a jump up in, I think, quality and improvement in the past few seasons. Really, I think he's solidified himself as one of the top defenders in Syria and a contender as one of the best defenders in Europe this season. And we were talking, you know, a few minutes ago about Chelsea's individual mistakes, you know, how calamitous they've been at the back for the past few weeks. And you also think about the fact that Antonio Rudiger is going to Real Madrid. Andreas Christensen is going to Barcelona. It looks like they've tied up as Piliqueta for another season, but he's getting older. Um, if you don't, Thiago Silva is getting a year older. And you look at, you know, someone like Tamori and someone also, to by extension, Tammy Abraham, these two Chelsea youth products who have really broken out in Serie A, you know, who are able to kind of let their wings fly a little bit and show that they are highly, highly capable players, both in terms of their own right and for potentially the England setup as well. I certainly think for Kyle Tamori should be, you know, playing for Gareth Southgate's England at the World Cup. And I think he is a player that I just wanted to highlight for someone who kind of is coming out of the shadows of Chelsea and is probably going to get his hands on a Serie A trophy. We will certainly keep an eye on that race as time uh, winds down in the season. It's crazy to think that we are, you know, just a few weeks away from the summer, from Champions League finals and from, uh, you know, I guess, I guess this summer is going to be fairly low event when you think about it because of the World Cup taking place next winter instead. And I think it'll provide like kind of a nice breather for everyone before what's going to be an absolutely crazy 10 months of soccer starting uh, in late July, early August. Is there anything else that we want to touch upon uh, before we bid adieu? Caleb, I have yeah, to yeah. note that. Yeah, um, I mean, re- Oh, sorry. Oh, I have to note that Real Oviedo have gone on a great run of form as of late and are now True. firmly entrenched in sixth and they look like they could be in that playoff but yes i just uh before we ended i just wanted to give finish like the shout out to madrid a little bit or more pointedly i want to give a shout out to ancelotti who became i don't know if you mentioned this before but the first manager to win all of the top five leagues which is a truly nuts achievement um and i think he has been a manager that despite, you know, being the mastermind behind those great AC Milan teams of the 2000s, um, has flown a bit under the radar in like the last decade, honestly, with the kind of Mourinho versus Guardiola and now kind of like the Klopp versus Guardiola era. But he is, has always been, you know, a top five manager for probably 20 years now. Um, and he's finally kind of got the last, you know, infinity stone uh, for for his his gauntlet here, um, and so just just wanted to shout shout that out because it's it's a really impressive achievement. Yeah, and I think it shows. You know, he was at Everton last season. I think really just kind of plodding away on a project that had no direction. And when he got the call from Real Madrid, I think we were all kind of like questioning it a little bit. You know, why would Perez, you know, turn to someone like Ancelotti who is kind of in the downturn of his career? And this is why. Ancelotti, I think, is by all accounts an an incredibly impressive man-manager. I don't think it's a coincidence that Karim Benzema is having as incredible a season as he's having under someone like Ancelotti, who has always been able to get the best out of his attacking players, has always instilled confidence. You know, you look at how Dominic Calvert-Lewin played under him. Obviously, you look at players like Shevchenko, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, more like Zlatan, Edinson Cavani there's countless players who have flourished under Ancelotti. And I think he's done so well with countless different players over the past 20 years. 
And yeah, he's done it with some of the biggest clubs in the world, AC Milan, PSG, Chelsea, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich. And I think that's nothing to scoff at. He's truly, I think, a legend of the game that needs to be, you know, if there was like a European soccer hall of fame, he'd be one of the first names up for consideration. Absolutely. And he's doing it with swag as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, swag in a very sort of like, uh, he's like the anti-Mourinho in that he could easily be just like totally full of ego all the time but i get the sense that he's a little bit more like down to earth and a little bit more laid back than that and maybe spending time at everton uh will do that to you uh, he seems but... like the nicest guy like if you if you listen to him in interviews he is like he definitely has like an ego like that kind of like italian bravado somewhat but like you said nathan he always seemed like a very seems like a very kind of like down to earth easy person to talk to and i think that probably comes across in the dressing room as well also, one last shout out before we head out. I think we need to touch on the passing of yeah. Mina Rayola uh, yesterday. You know, this week it was reported that he hadn't been in excellent health. Obviously, you know, the super agent who is in charge of um, you know, the careers who represents players like Erling Holland, like Paul Pogba, like Ibrahimovic, you know, truly someone who has been a fixture of modern football for the past 15 years or so. Uh, I think it's just important to highlight, you know, his passing because I think it is a monumental loss for the game, no matter what you think about him. I think he has definitely defined this era of soccer. And I think it's a, he's a, a key cog in the beautiful game that I think will be missed. Yeah, absolutely. Whether you like him or not, he made a bunch of rich owners pay up um, in this era of, of sort of money in soccer and uh, certainly gone too young uh, for anyone. Yeah, I mean, he just... He is probably one of the driving forces of like what I'll call like the modern period of soccer, like the, the turn of turn of the century, turn of the millennium. And he has definitely made soccer what it is today. And as you said, gone, gone too soon. And I guess we're sending our, our best to, to his family and, and friends. And we know it's a very difficult time for them right now. All right. And with that, we will depart a busy week. We've got the second leg of all European semifinals this week. We've got, it's a double Premier League match week for some clubs in each of the next two weeks. Uh, and by this time next week, we should have a pretty good handle on how the table will look come seasons. And we will certainly reconvene then. Uh, but until next time, I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. Nick Gavinden. We'll see you all next time.